following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Well, this morning uh, we're concluding sort of part one of two of a series that we've been journeying through New Year's Attitudes. We've been looking at you know, how to start the year differently, maybe not with setting goals and kind of uh, New Year's resolutions, but thinking about how maybe God is calling us to be as His people and uh, attitudes that we want to be embracing uh, in this new year. And so we've come to our last uh, attitude, and I want to do this over two parts. I want to kind of start this week and then finish off next week. Because uh, next week, we're going to kind of do a vision recap as well, thinking about our theme for the year, which is stand firm. And so the second part really fit in with that as well. So I'm going to kind of conclude, fully conclude next week. uh, But this is the last attitude we're going to be looking at. And it is the attitude of love. Love. Now, in some ways, you might be thinking, this, this probably should have been the first one we did. It was the one we, start, we should have started with. We started with, I don't know if you remember, the fear of the Lord, which is kind of going, we should have gone the other way. But in some ways, as I kind of prepared and spent time thinking about this, it's, it's the best way to end. Because as, uh, as Paul says in Colossians 3, love binds them all together, all the other virtues, all the other things. And in some ways, as we're looking at you know, character and heart attitudes, this one is the same. It kind of holds everything else together. And so it's a great way for us to end. Now, you know, love is one of those Sunday school words, right? Like you can talk about love, you know, like what does that mean? You know, love is such a broad word. But this morning, our particular focus is the question, what does it mean for us to love God? Or what does it mean for us to have love for God? And that's kind of where we're going to anchor ourselves. You know, in one sense, that might seem like a really, really simple question to answer. That's like ABC, Christian ABC, love God. Yeah, of course. But the problem is that, There's so many different ideas floating around in our culture, particularly today, about what love is. And sometimes I I, I find that they creep into our thinking about what it means to love God. And I think it's time for us to kind of take a step back and maybe think, maybe we're letting some of these cultural attitudes drift us away from what the Bible has to say about what it means to love God. So for instance, in our culture right now, there's this idea that True love means there should be complete freedom for me to do whatever I want, right? That's this idea that's kind of, that love should have no restrictions, shouldn't curtail anything. We, we, we love one another. Everybody should be free to do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it. That's love, free love. And, and, and sometimes we can think that we, we can actually love God and have the same attitude to do whatever we want and whatever we please, um, the, the famous Saint Augustine said, love God and do as you wish. And people throughout history have kind of gone, hang on a second, what, is, what does that mean? But maybe we'll understand that if we truly understand what Augustine was meaning by to love God, then that statement is true. You can love God and do as you wish because what you wish will flow out of a heart that loves God. That changes everything. It curtails things, it limits things. So that's one idea that I think we need to really engage with what does it mean to love God in light of freedom that our culture says. 
The second thing that you would know, because February 14 is one of the, the high feast days of this idea of love, is the idea of romance and emotion and feeling. We, we talk about love as something you fall in out, into and out of and something that so overwhelms you that you have no control and you have to just give in to it. And, and rightly, the church and Christians have kind of pushed back against that and go, no, 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 no. Love is not an emotion. Love is a verb. It's a thing we do. It's an act of our will. It's a choice we make. There's no emotion. We stripped kind of all the emotion out of it. And any sentiment in some parts of the Christian church of loving God emotionally, singing songs of worship and, and bringing our heart to God. In, it's like, whoa, no, no, that's, that's, that's subjective. It's, it's wrong. It's, it, love is commitment and will. And, you know, and it's like, whoa, have we lost our way there somewhere? And so this morning I want to take us to a kind of foundational passage in, in, in the Bible, Deuteronomy 6, which is the, the central place where this idea of love what it means to love God comes from. And Moses is teaching Israel as they're about to go into the promised land. Uh, God has rescued them from Egypt. They're on the way. And they're going to live in community. They're going to live under God's rule. They're going to live as God's people. And he's trying to instruct them on what that will look like, what it will mean to love God. And I think when we actually read through the Bible from cover to cover, we have this clear idea that God expects us to love him. Central. Old Testament, New Testament. But the question we're going to be engaging with this morning is, well, how do we do that? What does that look like for us? So Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. Now that's taking us back to week one, fearing the Lord. By keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Verse 4 is the, the key verse, and you'll recognize this verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, verse 6 is not what you would expect when Moses has just talked about loving God with all your heart. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, it should affect every part of your life. Tie them as symbols on your hands. It means let it influence everything you do. Bind them on your foreheads. It should influence everything you think about and, and how you approach life, your worldview. Write them on the door frames of your houses. It should affect everything that happens in your home uh, and on your gates. It should inform and uh, uh, govern and direct everything you do in your cities. So the first thing that we can clearly see from this passage and that Moses continues to bring out in the rest of Deuteronomy is that loving God involves commitment, absolutely, or loyalty, or faithfulness, whatever word you want to choose. But this idea that absolutely, like we've, the, the church has often said, that love is about a commitment that we make. It's about being loyal to God. And Moses, throughout this passage, where he puts right in the middle about loving God with all our hearts, surrounds that with instructions about being obedient to God, obedient to his law, obedient to his word, obedient to his decrees, obedient, obedient to the things that he's instructed them to do. 
uh, some other examples in Deuteronomy. Um, we see that love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Deuteronomy 11.1. 1. So again, you see the connection between love and obedience. 11.22, if you carefully observe all these commands I'm giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and hold fast to him. A couple more. Because you carefully follow all these laws I command you today to love the Lord your God and to walk always in obedience to him. Deuteronomy 19.9. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him. Deuteronomy 30.16. It's there throughout the whole book of Deuteronomy. This connection between love and loyalty, love and commitment, love and obedience. Unless we think, oh, that's Old Testament. Well, let's go to Jesus, right? Jesus followers, let's go to Jesus. Well, in John chapter 14, 15, it's everywhere. This idea that friendship with Jesus means actually doing what he says. If you love me, he can't get more direct than this, right? If you love me, keep my commands, John 14, 15. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, John 14, 21. You are my friends if you do what I command, John 15, 14. Which is why you remember the passage in Matthew 7 when Jesus says, you know, these people who did all these spectacular spiritual things, supernatural things, healed people, did miracles, and they come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, but you never did the will of my Father. It's like Jesus saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you just don't do what I say? How am I Lord? See, the Bible has no understanding of a love that's separated from loyalty. Or a love that's devoid of obedience. It just doesn't exist. So we need to push back against our culture that kind of says, well, true love is expressed with full freedom. It doesn't exist in the Bible. God's idea is if we love him, we actually remain faithful to him. We obey him. Now that's a mind-bending idea that love and obedience can actually go together. And, but God says, that's what it means to love me to be committed to me. And interestingly, in the Old Testament, when the people of Israel disobeyed and they worshipped other gods, every time, do you know how God describes that? As unfaithfulness, as disloyalty, as a wife that's been adulterous against her loving husband. That's how God describes it. Faithfulness to God. So I want to lovingly challenge you you may come to church and you might feel all warm and fuzzy when you sing these worship choruses. You might lift your hands and sing passionately. You might express your heartfelt affection to God. And if you go home and you're sleeping around, or you go home, you're watching pornography. If you go home and you're gossiping all the time, if you go home and you're living with unforgiveness, if you go home and there's bitterness in your heart, if you go home and you act angrily towards your wife, your children, your husband, your friend, and you say hurtful words, you don't love God, not the Bible way. Not the Bible way. I remember I was preaching one time and I was talking about you know, sexual immorality and, uh, from Ephesians and just challenging uh, our young adults to live holy and pure. And I had you know, one of these young adults come to me and she said, oh, you know, Pastor Hillary, I, I don't understand. I, I love God, but I don't see anything wrong with living with my boyfriend. I'm going, I'm sorry. I had to break it to you. you. You don't love God. You think you do and you might have a wonderful heart of affection to God. But if you've separated love of God from obedience to God, what you have is something different other than what the Bible talks about. So certainly we can say at least one one aspect of loving God is this 
idea that loving God is, is about a commitment or a loyalty that's expressed in our obedience to God. To God. So I want to challenge you to think about, do you love God this way? This way, in obedience to his word. The second aspect that we want to hold very, very tightly to as well, because we don't want to get to a point where we just obey God out of a a deadness in our heart. God is not interested in, in us keeping external rules or a religious devotion to him and observing and doing all the right things. God's not interested in that. Because in this passage, we're told, love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's not just about keeping the rules and doing all the right thing and following through. And God is not interested in us loving him out of some sense of duty or obligation or a religious thing that we do to tick a box and and do all the right things when our hearts are cold and distant and far from me. God is saying, love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's every part of you and every part of every part of you. Total devotion. That's, That's an important second part of what it means to love God. It's not just about commitment and loyalty and faithfulness. It is that, absolutely. But it's also about heartfelt, genuine, sincere devotion to God. And our obedience ought to flow out of a heart of affection and devotion to God. And that's what the Pharisees had missed, right? And that's why Jesus in in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 15, Have I got that verse up there? Yeah, Matthew 15. says, these people, speaking of the Pharisees, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Far from me. You see, God is not interested in slaves who just obey the rules, who do all the right things. And we come to church, we, we read our Bible, we pray, but it doesn't move us. It doesn't touch anything inside of us. No. Deuteronomy 6, and Jesus reminds us that to love God is to love him with all our heart. See, but the challenge is we, we can drift. And the longer you're a Christian, the more likely you are to drift this way. And so we come to Revelation chapter 2 and, and Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus and this church, they, they, they had an impressive resume. They were, they were doing all the right things. You know, he says, I know your deeds, I know your hard work, your perseverance, you don't tolerate wickedness. It's a pretty good church, spiritually speaking. Or is it? Because Jesus rebukes them and says, but you've lost an essential ingredient in loving me. You've lost your first love. And he says, you need to go back. You need to go back and do the things that you once did. Rediscover that, that passion, that affection, that delight, that devotion, that, that wonder that you've lost along the way. Devotion. I want to ask you, friend, does, does being with the Father warm your heart? Do you, do you long to be with Jesus? Do you long to draw aside in, in quietness and stillness and sit with him? Do you long to, to read his word and, 
and, and, and hear what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you? Do you long to gather together on a Sunday in community? Do you long to, to gather with your, your brothers and sisters in connect group? Do you long, do you delight, do you eagerly anticipate, do you out of affection for the Father want to? Or do you just do it because, well, the pastor said I should or the church expects me to do it or And that goes with your serving, with your leading, with every part of your Christian life. Is it born out of affection for the Lord? Delight in Him. Wonder. When you worship, you know, and I don't mean to stereotype, does it move your heart? Does it make you want to lift your hands because you're so overwhelmed with God's love for you? Does it make you want to sing with everything within you? Or you might say, oh, I'm not a singer. Or I'm very conservative. I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't, I'm not talking about personality here. Like the Bible doesn't give instructions for extroverts that are different to the introverts. When it says, lift your hands in worship, it's talking to all of us. When it says, sing with all your heart, Make a joyful noise, shout aloud to God. It's not for extroverts. It's for all of us. When it says dance, it's not just for Africans. That's, that's the one time, carols, right? Every year we wait. We wait for the Africans to start dancing so we can all dance. It's like, come on. But when you have a heart that's gripped by God's love and your love for him, you don't care. Remember David? He didn't care. Why? Because he, he says, I'm, I'm devoted. I don't care what people think. I don't care what my personality type. I don't care what my Myers-Briggs is. I don't care about any of those things. All I care about is that God loves me and I love him with my whole heart. And I'll jump, I'll dance, I'll twirl around in my undies. I don't know. Please don't do that in church. (laughs) Devotion. It's both, friends. So if we can kind of summarize what we're talking about. To love God, loving God is about loyalty and affection. It's about obedience and delight. It's, it's, it's both of those things together, fully together. So a helpful de- definition is, you know, like uh, that I got from Graham Bainan's book. If you put the next one up. A, a devoted commitment to him. That's a great definition. Simple, but effective. It's a devoted commitment, a devoted loyalty to him. That's what it means to love God. And in Deuteronomy 6, Moses doesn't just give them these commands. He, he anchors this in two profound statements about, about God and gives them reasons why they are to love God this way. And the first one, and again, this is Christianity 101. It's because of who he is. It's because of who he is. Notice that right in the middle, and it's, you kind of easily easy to miss this. In verse 4, Moses begins by saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, interestingly, when Jesus was asked about what the greatest commandment is, he doesn't start with verse 5, which is the actual commandment. He starts with verse 4. Again, reminding people the why. The why is because of who God is. The Lord our God is one. Now, again, 
people have understood that as being the Lord our God is unique, that he is a singularity. You know, the, the people of Israel certainly understood as that in a monotheistic way, that there's only one God. But the word actually conveys a richer understanding than that. It, it, it carries the idea of God's integrity or God's wholeness or God's unity. You see, because the, the, the pagan gods, the gods that surrounded Israel at this time, they were fickle. They were changeable. Like the, the, the false gods of the world, when their people worshipped them, they didn't know what, what side of the bed the God got out of that morning. They didn't know whether they were going to find the happy God, the mad God, the sad God, the angry God. They had no idea. There was nothing predictable. The gods were constantly changeable. And so you had to keep offering all these sacrifices just in case. And so into that environment, into that context, Moses speaks here and says, our God is not like that. Yahweh, the Lord our God, the Lord of Israel is one. He's whole. He's utterly dependent, he, dependable. He's utterly reliable. He's utterly consistent. He's never changing. You can always know what he's going to be like. He is eternally the same. He will always uphold his promise. He will always maintain his purpose. He will never be other than who he is. As God said to Moses, I am who I am. Another way of interpreting that is, I will be who I will be. One. You see, for anyone to ask you to surrender your whole self, it's a pretty scary thing. And it's a pretty big ask to lay your whole life down, to give over complete control to somebody else, to hand over your will, your values, your priorities, your future. That's, that's a huge ask. But the good news of the Bible is that the God of the Bible is really the only one that deserves that kind of surrender. Because he loves you unconditionally. Because of who he is. He is one. The second reason Moses gives us, we're very familiar with, and it's right at the end, and he's talking about a time in the future when the children of Israel and their, their kids and their grandkids and the generations to come hear these laws and go, what's, what's with all these commandments? What, what, do, what do these things mean? Or like, Why are they important and why should we keep them? So what Moses tells them to do is to tell them the story of God's redemption. Tell them what God has done for us. So not only are we supposed to love God this way because of who he is, because he's one and he's utterly dependable and unchanging and trustworthy, and we can rely on him, but because of the great work he has done. See, he talks about being slaves in Egypt and how God rescued them and brought them out and gave them this beautiful land and that they were going to live under God's rule and enjoy God's blessing and favor. That's our story too, only infinitely greater. Because the deliverance, the rescue from Egypt is just a prototype of the greater salvation to come in Jesus. That's our story too. Why, so why do we love God? Because of Jesus. Why should we love God with total loyalty and commitment and obedience? Because of Jesus. Why should we love God passionately with our whole hearts, affectionately delighting in Him, delighting in the Father's presence, longing to be with Him, longing to be with Jesus, longing to enjoy Him, be in His Word, all of those things. Why? Because of Jesus and what He's done. Who was the Son who became a slave and a servant to die on a cross for you and me, to save us from our sin, to, to pay the price of the penalty for, for your debt before God. 
to rescue you from the clutches of Satan and sin and death, to bring you out of the kingdom of darkness and establish you in the kingdom of light so that now you are called a son and a daughter of the living God. That's why you love God. That's why we love God. Because of what he's done. And so yet again, as we've done week after week in this series, we come back to the cross. Because with any of these hard attitudes we've been exploring, that's where it begins. We fear God because of the cross. We are hopeful because of the cross. We're joyful because of the cross. We have peace because of the cross. Everything is anchored in the cross of Jesus Christ. John Stott says this, the cross is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled. But we have to get near enough to it for its sparks to fall on us. You see, the reality is, friends, our our hearts do grow cold. And we do, at times, get discouraged. We do, at times, get weary. We do, at times, get distant. We do, at times don't take God seriously at his word. We flirt with sin. We we trifle. We think, ah, what does it really matter anyway? Those things can happen to us. Spiritual atrophy, drift, things happen in life that make us question at the end of the day, what we always question is, does God really love me? That's what Adam and Eve really had to wrestle with in one way or the other. Does God really love me? And the answer to that question will always be the cross. You have to go back to the cross time and time and time and time again. You need to sing about it. You need to reflect on it. You need to tell each other about it. You need to drill it into your hard heart until it begins to bleed again until the scars and the, the callous places of your heart begin to shift and move and, 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 and the love of God displayed in the cross grips you afresh again. And so I want to give you just a couple of heartwarming scriptures to warm your heart. I'm not saying your heart's cold. I know my heart can get cold, is cold maybe. And these have been just such an encouragement to me. One John, if you can put these up please. And again, these are all familiar verses. I think it's two slides before this one. 1 John chapter 3, chapter 4. That's what happens when I don't have notes. One John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. That is what we are. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love. God's love may stir your heart. And I put a picture of a bonfire up there for a reason. 
when I was in Rangers and when we were on youth camps, I, I love bonfires. A bit of a pyro, but I love them. My dad gave me a love for bonfires. Um, he taught me how to light them, how to build them, and how to make them last a long time. You know, think about bonfires, though. There's a certain radius of heat. And sometimes in the middle of winter, when we used to light these bonfires, Sasha, if you can jump up, please. When we used to light these bonfires, they were the best thing. It would like be freezing out there and this fire would radiate heat, warm your bones inside of you. It's just incredible. But the thing is, if you stepped away a little bit out of the heat zone, you started to feel the chill of winter creeping in again. You could still see the fire. You could enjoy its beauty. You could marvel at, you know, the way the fire just moved and dazzled. But the heat wouldn't touch you as much. And so in keeping with John Stott's advice, I want to give you the opportunity to draw near to the fire of God today. I've chosen to do communion at the end. If you've got it, open it up and prepare it. And just take a moment to let the fire warm you again. Maybe you've drifted. Maybe you're standing a little far back. Maybe you can still see the fire. You see the beauty of it and the wonder of it. And you're enjoying it from a distance. But maybe you need to draw near to the fire again so you feel the warmth touching you. Warming your heart. Refreshing you. Healing you. And maybe there's things that have happened. Maybe there's hurts. Maybe there are things that you need to bring before God. You know, in 1 Corinthians, when Paul talks about communion, he says, take the opportunity to reflect, to examine your heart. And so I want you to do that this morning. Examine your heart and see the the state of your heart. How soft is it? How alive is it? How on fire is it? How warm is it? towards the Father? And have there, or have there been disappointments and discouragements and, and pain and hurt that have come in that have hardened your heart, cooled your affection? Yeah, you come to church, you go to Connect Group, you're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're doing all the right things, but your heart is just a little bit cool. And let the, the warmth of God's Word and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the symbols of this broken body and shed blood warm your heart again. That you would be devoted to Him, that you would be affectionate, that you would express that devotion in exuberant worship, in delight and wonder, in hungering and thirsting for His presence, in desiring to know Him through your word because it flows out of a heart that's hot with the love of God. Or maybe the other part of it more relates to you. Maybe you've been compromising. Maybe you've been tolerating sin. And maybe you've been living not in obedience to God. And you know in your heart because the Holy Spirit right now is even convicting you of those things that are not in line with God's word. And Jesus said because he loves you, he will lovingly rebuke you. And maybe you're feeling the rebuke of the Holy Spirit this morning as he gently and lovingly calls you back into loyalty, into obedience, into commitment. And maybe for you, it's about bowing your knee before Jesus and saying, Lord, I love you. And I say, yes. I say, yes, Lord. I surrender to your will again. I surrender 
my whole heart to obey you wholeheartedly today. Wherever you're at, as you hold these emblems that remind us of the fire of God's love that was lit that Calvary day when His Son bled and died for your forgiveness to make you His child. May that truth and may that love warm your heart and bring you back into a deeper sense of commitment and a deeper sense of devotion to this God that we serve. Why don't you bow your head and just close your eyes and just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. prompted by the Holy Spirit to, to speak to maybe one, maybe more here that are feeling condemned this morning in light of what I've just said. And I want to say to you, that's not the Holy Spirit. No matter what you've done, been doing, how you've been living, maybe you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but God doesn't want you to be condemned by that, to run away from Him, to stand afar off from Him. No, He's saying to you, you're welcome. You're welcome to the fire. You're welcome. As Susan shared with us last week, come with confidence, with boldness, draw near to the throne of God and receive God's forgiveness and mercy. Don't hang back with shame and condemnation. Don't let the enemy hold you back with fear and condemnation and shame because that is not God. Because perfect love, John says, casts out all fear. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and of a renewed right mind. Don't let the enemy rob you of this moment to experience God's love afresh. If that's you, I invite you to just open your heart, surrender to Him, and invite the Holy Spirit to come and minister to you. Thank you, Jesus. we stand together this morning. Father, we thank you for these symbols we hold in our hands. This piece of bread that reminds us of your body that was Jesus' body that was broken for us on that cross. And this cup of juice that reminds us of the covenant that you made with us through the blood of your son. We thank you for your forgiveness this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love that you lavished upon us that now we are called the children of God because that is who we are. And Lord, as we partake together, I pray that your Holy Spirit will remind us of these truths and bring them alive in our hearts again. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake together.
Thank you, Jesus. Worship you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.